good news, bad news. You know that, that moment when someone comes to you and says, all right, I've got some good news and some bad news. How many of you like the good news first? Raise your hand. How many of you like the good news first? Okay. All right. Nice to see all the sickos in the room. All right. How many of you like the bad news first? Yeah, probably the most of us. Some of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, it's case to case. Depends on my mood in the moment. But uh, a lot of times I like to get the bad news first because then you tell me the good news afterwards, make me feel better, right? But either way, we, we love getting good news and we don't like getting bad news, right? And uh, this is a, a time of good news. I mean, for all the moms in the room, think about, hey, you know, you're with child. Oh, that's good news. You get to tell my family and friends. Uh, you find out if it's a boy or a girl, good news. The, the delivery is good news. Uh, for the rest of us, think about other good news that you may have received in your life recently, whether that's related to a job or a home that you're trying to buy or maybe a relationship, engagement, um, good news for those who are graduating, right? So if you've graduated this weekend or are going, going to be graduating in the weeks to come, that's good news. That school or that job that maybe you're hoping to get to, maybe they've been in touch with you, that, that's good news. We, we love good news. And the Bible has a word for good news. Anyone want to take a guess at what it is? Gospel, that's right. The word gospel is a Bible word that means good news. And it comes from the Greek word euangelion. And the, the noun form of this word literally means good news. The verb form of this word means to announce good news. That's where we get our word evangelism, right? Evangelion. And so that's the word gospel. Now, why do we need this good news? Well, this is where we need to understand the bad news a little first. Uh, we need to understand that we were born with a sin nature, a bent towards selfishness and rebellion, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. Um, our sin has broken that relationship with God. And because of that, we're lost, we're broken, we're sinful, and we're left searching through this life um, for, for something to fit. Because there's something inside of us that says something's missing, something's not right. And so we, we have that in our heart. And all the prosperity and all the pleasures of the world won't make that feeling go away, won't make that reality go away until you're right with God. Because that, that hole in the soul, if you will, is a desire, it's a cry to be made right with God. You know, I heard a story just a few days ago of a man who was extremely wealthy. He had everything that you would want as far as picture perfect, frame it, I want that. You know, beautiful family, high paying job. He had a beautiful big home. He lived next to celebrities. He had the capacity to walk into a car dealership and buy a $400,000 car with cash, you know, that kind of life. And, and so on the outside, picture perfect, everything you think you would want. But on the inside, he said he was lonely and dying. And he was always searching for that other thing to make him feel right, to take away that feeling. And it didn't go away until he was made right with God, until he heard good news and believed it. And some of you are thinking, well, man, if I had that life, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> you know, I'd be pretty satisfied. But here's the reality of that. You may be able to temporarily distract yourself from that feeling that it's not right on the inside. But the ultimate reality is that you cannot um, push away, drink away, party away, spend away, or play away the deep sense that you're not right with God. And in the lonely moments and in the quiet moments, it comes back. It reminds you something's not right. You need good news to make it right. You need the gospel. 
the good news. Well, what exactly is the gospel? The gospel is the message that God has made relationship with him and forgiveness from him available exclusively through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his raising from the grave for eternal life to be made right with him. You know, the gospel in one verse, a lot of you know it, is John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's the gospel in a verse. There's another section of verses that talks about some of the core components of what this gospel, what this good news really is. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. And it says here, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The death, burial, and resurrection are these three core elements to the good news, to the gospel. And it's the belief in this gospel, belief in the Jesus of this gospel, that makes you right with God, that gets you where you desire to be at the core. And there's one book in the Bible that mentions the gospel that word, literally, more than any other book in the Bible, and it's the book of Romans. And so we are launching today into a, a study that's going to take us over 25 weeks of just excavation of themes and content from the book of Romans. And it's one of the most theologically rich sections in Scripture. It's a theological blueprint for the gospel, and we're going to camp out in it for a while. Here's a, a sampling of some of the topics that we're going to touch on. Uh, will God ever stop loving me? What is sin? And a lot of you are asking this, even after I give my life to Christ, get saved, why do I still sin? Why do I still struggle with my sin? What is with that? Well, we're going to talk about that. What is the relation to the Jewish people and the Christian faith? Uh, how were people saved before Jesus came and died and rose? How can I understand this doctrine I've heard about called predestination? How does the Old Testament and its law relate to my faith in Christ? Um, how do deep theological concepts help me in day-to-day -day life? This is, this is some of the, just a sampling. And I'm going to tell you, warn you right now, it's going to feel like drinking like from a fire hose, including this morning. So strap up, all right? Um, but I think you guys are ready. You guys are ready, right? You guys are ready for this, all right. Um, and also, uh, you know, I'm going to teach on this. We have some of our other teaching pastors teaching on this. But I'm excited, even in a couple weeks, I'm going to be inviting a new friend of mine, Rabbi Eric Lakatos, to come and share with us a couple times. Um, he is a, a rabbi of a Messianic Jewish synagogue in Cleveland, Tikvat, Israel. And so uh, if you're not familiar with Messianic Jews, they're basically people of the Jewish faith that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so um, to have a brother in Christ come and share some of the unique Jewish passages from a Jewish perspective we think will be interesting for us. Um, him and I have been getting together over the last year. In fact, uh, he and I are going to be co-leading CVC's very first trip to Israel next summer, 2016. And so we're going to be able to go with Messianic Jews to Israel in 2016. So I know not everybody can go, but it's going to be a phenomenal trip. One of the best things you can do to grow as a follower of Christ and a student of the Bible. And so uh, we have an information meeting coming up May 24th. If you want more information on that, make a mental note. But before diving into the book of Romans, we've got to get a little basic 411. Now, some of you are Bible students. You've, you've seen this. You know this. It might be a refresher. Some of you, this will be new. 
as you're searching spiritually, or you may be young in the faith. So the name of the book bears the name of its recipients. That's very typical of what we would call the Pauline epistles in the Bible. The names uh, bear the name of the recipients. So this book was written to Christians, followers of Christ, in Rome, all right? And God selected the Apostle Paul to author this letter right around about A.D. 56, 57, And if you're unfamiliar with Paul, which is his Greek name, otherwise known as Saul, which was his Hebrew name, um, he was a very religious Jewish man and also a Roman citizen. He was born in Tarsus of Cilicia in Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. Paul spent much of his life in Jerusalem as a student of a very well-known Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. He had very high-end training. Paul was educated. He was cultured. He was influential. He was part of a Jewish sect known as the Pharisees, very staunch, pious, um, elite uh, religious class. And he was converted to Christ when he had a supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he was on the way to the city of Damascus with orders to arrest Christians, to persecute them. And so Paul went from being a persecutor of those who preached the gospel to being one of the greatest missionaries and preachers of the gospel. This is what God does when he transforms people. And Paul was fiercely devoted to his Jesus. And he faithfully served him and eventually died for his faith as a martyr in Rome, of all places, right around AD 66 under the reign of Nero. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the city of, uh, from the city of Corinth to the Roman Christians. Well, how, how did the Christians get in Rome in the first place? Well, tradition says and belief is that there were Jewish folks in Rome that came to Jerusalem for Passover to worship And they came during the day of Pentecost when the disciples were sharing the gospel and some of those Jews got saved and went back to Rome. And now there's this fledgling Roman church of new followers of Christ. But they've had no disciple, uh, no apostle come and teach and encourage them. And so Paul has this longing, Paul has this desire to go and be encouraged by them, encourage them, and then instruct them as an apostle clarity of the gospel and start to partner with them in getting the gospel in through Rome since it was the hub of civilization at the time. You know, the the opulent and powerful and worldly city of ancient Rome. And so because of that, when you look at the book of Romans, it is one of the most theologically rich works in the Bible. And the dominant theme is the righteousness of God being given or applied to those who place their faith in Jesus, who believe and receive the gospel. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, the book of Romans will help any of you who are spiritually searching or concerned about how to be made right with God know how you can be made right with God. And not through good works and not through religious um, uh, rituals or moral behavior, but through believing and trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then that will bring you back into relationship with God and make you right with him. For those of you who've known Christ, you've been walking with Christ for maybe decades, uh, this is a great reminder. This maybe will be a fresh doctrinal understanding of how our faith in Christ works. Maybe you'll pick up on nuances that you haven't caught before. Um, Romans reminds us of how much we need God, It reminds us of how wicked we can be without God. And uh, it reminds us how much God loves us and has a plan that he's been working since the beginning of creation. So in essence, the book of Romans will help you find your faith in Christ if you're here searching, or it will help you fuel your faith in Christ if you already know him. So that being said, 
And that framework being laid, let's dive into the book of Romans. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 17 today. And so open up your Bibles. Hopefully you brought a Bible or fire up your Bible applications if you're using your, app, uh, your devices. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. Just stop outside in the info center on your way out and get a Bible. And as we prepare to read through Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, uh, let me put this out for you. Uh, highlight, circle, underline, or take note of every time you see the word gospel, which means what? Good news. Every time you see that word gospel, take note of it, underline it, highlight it as we read these 17 verses. You guys ready? Here we go. Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Will you pray with me? God, you used this man, Paul, who once was Saul, a persecutor, turned preacher, God, to pin this amazing, inspired, divine letter from you. God, may we let it interact with our hearts and our minds and our souls. God, would you let it change us, make us different, make us new because we spend time in it. Lord, be with us as we launch into this series. And God, I pray that people will come to Christ and people will grow in Christ because of it. That's our united prayer. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. How many times do you see the word gospel? Four times. Four times in 17 verses, the word gospel came out. It's, a, it's, it's an emphasis through the entire book, but also you see it right out of the gate, right here. And although most of the content of these opening verses consist of Paul's greeting to the Roman church, there's two significant characteristics of those who are right with God that are embedded in the greeting. Because we know that Paul's been changed. Paul has experienced something, heard something, read something, saw something that's transformed him, that's made him uh, new in Christ. 
And so he's right with God. And so as he's writing this, as we're looking at it and hearing it, we can hear it. And he's not necessarily instructing us in it right now, but you can hear it embedded in his greeting. And I think when you see this and hear this, we're going to find that a person who's right with God understands the gospel information and experiences the gospel transformation. That's, that's kind of a big idea for this morning, that those people who are right with God understand the gospel information and experience the gospel transformation. Let's talk about the information piece first. Um, just a few traits. A person right with God understands that the gospel which is salvation for all of mankind who believe through the death and resurrection of Christ, was planned. It was planned by God in advance, since the beginning of creation. And it was communicated. God communicated this gospel orally and in writing throughout the course of Scripture. When you look at the Bible, the gospel isn't something just mentioned in the New Testament. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and see hints of the gospel. You see the gospel in so many different ways, nuanced Uh, by the Lord in the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years before he started working on its fulfillment. And so he communicated it to us because it was something he planned in advance. We look at that in verse 2. In verse 2, Paul refers to this. He says, when he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And on top of that, God even gave us a hint. The, The gospel, the good news of the death and resurrection of the Savior is going to come, in fact, look at the, the line, the genealogy, the family tree of King David. That's where I'm going to raise him up from. He even gave us advance notice of where. And so the gospel is not a knee-jerk reaction to God um, with the sin of man. It wasn't like, oh, they messed up. Now what do I do, you know? He had this plan from the beginning. And that, you know, that makes us scratch our head a little bit. Like, well, why did he let this happen? Why did let that happen? You know, we need to surrender that at some point. Just go, God knows what he's doing. We're just going to trust and believe. But we see that God was planned, had all this plan in advance. When you become right with God, you see that, you understand that, and you start to know that. Secondly, a person right with God understands that Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel, and that God evidenced and validated that, specifically his divinity, by his resurrection from the dead. Okay, so what's the gospel? It all hangs on Jesus. How do you want to be right with God? It all hangs on Jesus. I mean, look at verse 4 that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God says, I'm going to bring the one who's going to come that's going to save you from your sins. How will you know? I'm going to do something spectacular. I'm going to raise him from the grave. And by that, I'm going to show you his divine authority, his divine identity, his divine power to conquer sin and death and give you new life, give you eternal life. And so we understand as we become right with God, that the centerpiece is Christ. He's the foundation. He's the bullseye. When you start talking spiritual stuff, and you start to move away from Jesus, you're getting outside, you're coloring outside the lines. It's all about Christ. Uh, thirdly, a person right with God understands that the gospel is an expression and extension of God's grace to all people, groups, and nations. And it's a free gift, not worked for or earned. It's not behavior-based. It's not deserved and it's evidenced that it's been received by those who obey out of faith. Like, there's a lot of people that will tell you, oh, yeah, Jesus, I got Jesus. Oh, yeah, the big guy upstairs. And they'll, they'll give a verbal reference to their belief in God or their love for Jesus. But really, what we're seeing here when we look at verse 5, it says that he's going to have obedience of the faith for the sake of his name, 
among all the nations, it's, it's, you're going to see an obedience of an actual faith in Christ. So to say the name of Jesus on your lips, but then your life has no, no followership whatsoever is to really give evidence that maybe you don't really have Christ. And so this is, this is something that we have to understand, that we, we see God's extension of the gospel as his grace, that we can just receive freely as a gift from God to whoever would receive it. And then we'll have the obedience of faith in receiving it. And then fourthly, we'll see that a person right with God understands that the gospel is God's powerful message of salvation to all who believe. Romans 1.16 is like the pinnacle verse of the entire book. It's a heart's cry, not just of the Apostle Paul, but of all Christians for all time. Like when we, when we hear Romans 1.16, something should happen inside of us. Like, like we should almost be like, yeah, that, that's how I feel. Yeah, that, that, that's where I'm trying to get to, that place where we can look at Romans 1.16 and say, just with Paul, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to be timid about it. I'm not going to be weak about it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because I believe it's the power of God, of salvation for all who believe, everyone who believes. First to the Jew, because God had a system. He, he worked through his people, the Jewish people, and then to the Greek and the non-Jew, if you will. This pinnacle verse is huge. It's the unashamed declaration. It's the unashamed proclamation and understanding of God's power to forgive and to save anyone who believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus and who he is and what he did. But it's not just a personal thing. The gospel's for the world. It's not just the gospel for me. Yes, it's the gospel for all. I love what these three pastors who co-wrote a book uh, said about this. Matt Chandler and Josh Patterson and Eric Geiger, they said this about the gospel. In its simplest form, the gospel is God's reconciling work in Christ, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, God is making all things new, both personally for those who repent and believe, and cosmically as he redeems culture and creation from its subjection to futility. And so as you come right with God, you, you know, you know that this is God's powerful message of salvation and you're not ashamed of it. And the last piece of information I think is embedded here that we'll see is, is in the mind of the person who's right with God is that a person who's right with God understands that the gospel's communicating the righteousness of God is applied to those in faith because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to think for a second about um, you being completely bankrupt, that you have nothing in your account, and God just, you know, just blesses you by giving you stuff in the account, <laughs> you know, resources you. This, this is kind of the type of concept we need to understand when God's righteousness is given or applied to us. Look at verse 17. After talking about being understanding of the gospel, Paul elaborates, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As lost, broken, sinful people with absolutely zero righteousness of ourselves, we're going to stand before a holy God one day with zero righteousness on our own. And here's the funny thing. Some of us have been led to believe at times in our life that we're going to, in that moment, say something like this, this to God. God, I'm a good person. I mean, if you think about that, that's pretty laughable, right? Like, I want you to think about the extent of your life. I want you to think about every wicked thought, every sinful thought, every wicked word, sinful word, every wicked uh, action, that you, you know, for an entire lifetime. 
Every time you knew the right thing to do and you chose not to do it. And we've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of sins, if not millions, millions of infractions. And some of us are really hanging our hat. I don't even know what that phrase means, but anyways. (laughs) You ever just say things that just, yeah, anyways. We're going to stand for God with all our eggs in that basket of I'm a good person. And God's going, well, according to my ledger sheet, that's not true. We need God's righteousness in our life because God loves us but is repulsed by our sin. And if we leave this world in our current sinful state and all our sinfulness and brokenness and we stand before a holy God face to face, he's going to look at us and go, not only are you not good, you don't know me. You didn't believe in the way I revealed myself to you. I gave you the Bible. I gave you Jesus. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you a church. I gave you all that stuff. And you just, you rejected it all. And you now stand before me going, uh, I'm a good person. Depart from me, I never knew you. To an eternity of punishment for rejecting me. And we need God's righteousness credited to our account because we're bankrupt spiritually. And so the person who's right with God has this understanding that this righteousness that we see Paul talking about, it's the righteousness of God revealed from faith. When I believe from faith, then it gives me the fuel to live in faith because now God's righteousness is applied to my life. I don't need to live in fear. I can live in faith. I don't need to live unrighteous. I can live righteous. That's the gospel information. This is what happens in the mind of the person who becomes right with God, who believes the gospel. But the gospel is not mere information for the mind to take and absorb and log. All this information is designed to cause transformation. As we, we talk about a new life in Christ here. And so not only the person who's right with God will have the right gospel information, they'll experience gospel transformation. Think about who's writing this. This is the apostle Paul. There are times where I just wonder if Paul plays back the film of his old life. The man who stood by the crowd, stoning Stephen, approving of them killing this man who simply just loved Jesus. Or the man who was arresting Christians to be murdered for their faith. I wonder if he plays back those old films in his mind and his heart at times. And thinks, man, praise God that I'm not that same man. I sure hope that for all of you here who know Christ, and all of you watching who know Christ, that you think about the old life and go, praise God I'm not that person anymore. Because when you believe the gospel, it transforms you. It changes you. Some things may be instantaneous. Some things through a process. Through a process of growth and maturity. And even though Paul's not speaking in an instructive way, listen to the identity language that flows from how he talks. How he sees himself and how he sees other believers. And so if you experience this gospel transformation, just like Paul, you're going to see yourself as a servant. Look, we don't want to be a servant. We want to be the master, right? Some of you men might have actually said, I'm the master of my house, you know? Like, we want to be the master of our lives. Paul's saying, once you understand the gospel, you realize you're a servant. Look at at the language he uses. Verse 1, he introduces himself, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And listen how, too, he refers to Jesus, right? In verse 4, he talks about Jesus Christ, the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Lord means? Possessor, owner, master. When you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you let the Lord in, you, you acknowledge that he's the master, he owns all things, and you're the servant. And your life becomes this type of language with the Lord. God, I exist to please you. You don't exist to please me. 
I live my life to build your kingdom. You don't exist to build my kingdom. God, take this life and use it for whatever will glorify you. If pain in my life will put a spotlight on you, then bring the pain. If blessing in my life will be turned around to be praising your name, then bless this life. But God, whatever you do, I exist to serve you. You're my master. Some of you are still struggling in this life because you've got a mastery issue. You've somehow deceived yourself to think that Jesus is the master of your life, but if you were to be shadowed for a week, a month, a year of your life, maybe that wouldn't be seen as true. We fight for the mastery of our life. When the gospel transforms us, we start to see ourselves as a servant. Out of the gratitude for God's love, out of gratitude for his salvation, we go, this life's yours. I'm your servant. And we start to see ourselves that way. You also see yourself as a saint. Some of you are going, wait, this, this sounds awkward. This is, this is where it might get a little weird for some of you because you might have been taught different about this. But if you look at the word saint in the Bible, the Bible word for saint is the word hagias in the Greek. It means holy, different, set apart. That's what the word saint means, that you're set apart, you're holy, different. When God calls us um, into faith, then we're to be set apart from the world, distinct, different. Some of you are struggling because you're not different than the world. You're trying to serve two masters, yourself, the world, God, whatever, you know, take your pick. But a saint is one who understands that they're called to be different, to be distinct, to be set apart. And what you see here when Paul's talking, he even talks about himself in verse 1 as being set apart for the gospel of God. He acknowledges this set-apartness that comes with being a saint, but then he flat out writes to all the Roman believers in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be what? Saints. If you read the Bible, if you study the Bible, and by the way, the Bible is the top authority. The Bible is the top authority above any religious institution, above any religious leader, above any other religious writing. The Bible is the top. So if you are looking for spiritual accuracy, if you're looking for spiritual truth, don't stray from the Word of God. That's where it's found. And even on something as simple as this concept, when you look at the word saint, what you look at is here, the saint is a reference to any person who is a follower of Christ. That's what it means. That uh, it's a, uh, uh, no one makes you a saint. Believing in Jesus makes you a saint. A saint is a term reference to anyone who is a follower of Christ. Once you become a Christian, one who believes in Jesus, you are called a saint and we're to live as saints, right? We're to be saintly in our living. And so you see this contrast, like when you see the word saint in the Bible, here's a couple of distinctions. All the saints in the Bible lived on earth, not in heaven. All the saints in the Bible worshiped God and prayed to God. The saints in the Bible did not receive worship or prayer. Two different concepts. And so if you want to, I mean, this is just, this is scripture. And so Paul says, you are saints. All you believers in Rome, you're saints. And you start to look at that word all through the scripture, hagias, hagias, hagias. It's almost always plural. And it's always speaking to followers of Jesus Christ. If you're in here, you're watching online, and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what? You're a saint. That's what scripture teaches us. And so study the Bible to know this accuracy on these types of matters. The third way you'll see yourself is as a beloved child of God. 
A few of these references are uh, the same exact expressions as we use here called the fruit of new life, that we feel called to be servants. We call, are called to see ourselves as beloved children of God. When you look at a beloved child of God, look at verse 7 again. As Paul's talking, he says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you look back up there, it says, all those who are loved by God. I love this endearing tone and language here. I love this endearing tone of language because Paul is reminding us that we are beloved children of God. This is one of the most foundational understandings for us to grow spiritually. Because when we feel like we live, okay, I have to perform well for God to love me. I have to do good things for God to love me. Then that doesn't, you don't feel like a beloved child. You feel like a performing child. God loves you just the way you are. And he loves you enough not to keep you the way you are. He calls us out of love. You know, my, my earthly fathers, man, they were poor models of God's love for me. Some of you have had amazing models of God's love in your, in your earthly father. Some of you have had no or poor uh, modeling of good fatherhood. And what I had to learn as I grew in my faith is, wait, God's my heavenly father, and all the ways my earthly father lacked and botched, the heavenly father perfects. I'm his beloved child. And once you and I understand that I'm a child of God, it changes the way we operate. It makes you more secure. It makes you more able to engage God in a relational way. And Paul's talking about this as ones who are loved by God and God our Father embrace God's love for you as his child. And if you, if you receive and believe the gospel, you start to see yourself as God's child that he loves dearly. And you start to experience transformation as you experience his love for you as his child. And the last thing we see here as far as gospel transformation is you start to see yourself as a missionary. And some of you are going, wait, isn't that people who wear just funky clothes and go hide in the jungles and find people that don't know about Jesus? Yeah, them too. But we're all called to be missionaries. The missionary is a, rep- a representative, right? And we're representatives of this great, amazing news. Paul knew that about himself. You look at the language in which he speaks about himself and, and as well as others. Like in verse 1, he says, I, Paul, am a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. Apostle means sent one. Now, he's a capital A apostle because he encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ face to face. No one can be an apostle, capital A, unless they encountered Christ. Well, for us, we're apostles, little a. We're sent out just like Paul was. Maybe we didn't have that face-to-face encounter, but we're sent out. We're delegates. We're messengers. Just like Paul acknowledged that he was, we acknowledge that we are. And so we are sent out to share the good news of Christ. We like to say it here at CVC, you're a missionary cleverly disguised as fill in the blank. Like for me right now, I'm a missionary cleverly disguised as a patient in one, in one little venue because I get the joy of having a couple of wisdom teeth taken out in a few weeks, all right? Yeah, woo lucky me, right? So I went to the doctor's office. I'm like, I'm in the elevator going up. I'm going, I am a missionary, cleverly disguised as a patient today. God, you're going to bring people within three feet of me today, and there's a purpose for that. So I'm moving into this situation with intentionality, and I'm open. God, what do you have? So I went in, and I'm just trying to be kind and encouraging and and, um, not scared because I don't want to get my mouth jacked up. Um, And the oral surgeon took forever getting into the room. 
See, here, this, is, this is the difference between being a missionary who's on mission and someone who's like, ah, you know, because it could be like, this person's taking forever, and we just start to gripe and complain and moan. I'm sitting there going, why am I supposed to be with this dental assistant so long? Why am I supposed to be with this dental assistant so long? So we just start chatting. And we're chatting, and we're chatting, and I'm poking, and I'm prodding, and I'm playing detective, you know? And uh, why? Because I'm a missionary, clever disguised as a patient. And I find out about her life, and, you know, she just moved to Cleveland, been here six months, fresh married. She's got a Hindu background. And we had a great conversation. And so it came to a close. Oral surgeon came in. I got my date. I left. You know, I know when I'm going back. And it's so cool how God does stuff, because I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's the next step to take with this girl. I don't know what's the next appropriate, because you know, I don't want to be rude and offensive and too bold. I want to be kind of relational here. So I just happen to go to an event later uh, in the week where I hear a testimony of a man who is a converted Hindu. Oh, well, what do you know? That must be sheer coincidence. <laughs> and he talks about hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. He talks about a book that was written that was, that was very helpful for him. And I'm like, I'm going to order a couple of those books right now. So I got those books on the way. They're, they should be showing up in my mailbox. I saw him afterwards. I said, hey, I want to give this book to this gal who's a, who's a Hindu just to try to encourage her to read. How do I do that without it being weird? He said, you know what? I recommend you offer it to her as just an autobiography and a, and a good story that she might enjoy reading. And see, see what happens. Done. And so I, I'm not looking forward to going back to the office because it's going to hurt, but I am kind of looking forward to going back because I've got a gift to give to this person just going to give and see what God does with that. Why? Because I'm a missionary, clever disguised as a patient. Guys, we're all missionaries. I hope, I hope you're doing the same thing. This is the life God's called us to. This is who we're supposed to be as we live out there on mission for Christ. And you look at all this different language that Paul's talking about. In verse 13, he's talking about having a harvest. In verse 14, he's talking about being under obligation. Like, we're supposed to be looking for where to plant and water and harvest. We're supposed to feel the sense of obligation. Like, if God gave us his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, why would we keep that to ourselves and seal our mouths? We're under obligation to share with others. And we come to that Romans passage in 15 and 16 that we're eager to preach. We're eager to share. We're not going to be ashamed of this gospel because we believe it's the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Hey, look, if Jesus can publicly die for us, then we can publicly live for him, right? If Jesus took those nails and the spit and the beatings in public out of his love for us, then we can take a little discomfort as we live for him. We really don't know true hard persecution in our culture. We do know some to a degree but nothing that should dissuade us, really. No, we're not ashamed. We're not reserved. We're not going to be passive. We're not going to be timid about sharing this message. We believe. We believe it can change anyone. Some of you are going, there are some people I know that are beyond saving. Honestly, we're there. Some of us that think about people and go, well, that person's a lost cause. Man, maybe God has you here just to remind you they're not a lost cause. There is no person that God's hand can't reach. There is no heart too hard that God can't soften. God can do anything. If he can change a man like Saul into Paul, he can change whoever you're thinking about into the next person that can have new life in Christ. I found this lyric of an old hymn. I remember seeing this as a kid a couple times. There's a song called To God Be the Glory. It was written in 1875, and the lyric of that was, The most violent, vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. 
That's the gospel. And here's the problem. We see a lyric like that, and we start thinking about all the other vilest offenders, and here's where we go wrong. We're the vilest offenders. We still need the gospel. So, you want to be right with God? Gospel information needs to be in your head. Gospel transformation needs to be in your life. Do you know this information? Have you had that transformation? If you're a follower of Christ today, now my encouragement to you as we launch into the series is come fresh. Maybe you've read the book of Romans tons. Come, come with fresh ears, fresh heart, looking to be transformed even more, grow like Christ even more. If you're here today, you're watching online, you're searching, man, we want this gospel transformation for you. And you don't need to do anything super spiritual religious. You just come to a place where you choose to believe in the gospel of Jesus. You just tell God, God, I need you. I'm lost. I'm broken. I've heard this gospel, this good news, that although I'm sinful, you came, you died on the cross, you rose from the grave for me so I could follow you and be in relationship with you. I believe right now. And if you do that today, during this time of worship, whatever, if you make that decision to follow Christ, please let us know. Write, write a response card and say, I place my faith in Christ today. We want to we follow up with you and tell you how to grow in your relationship. If you're online, send it in at cbconline.org. And God wants us to not just know this information, but to experience the transformation. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being a God who doesn't just give the information, but God, you're a God who works the transformation into our life. Thank you that I'm a changed life. God, I, I get sick thinking about the guy I could have been. I get sick thinking about the guy I was going to be, I used to be. God, I'm so grateful that you gave me transformation. God, now you've put this obligation in my soul. God, to tell others about this great God who loves and forgives. God, may that be true for all of us. Lord, for all the men and women in this room and watching online that know you and love you, God, would you increase the sense of obligation? Would you decrease the sense of shame or reservation or hesitancy? in this gospel. And God, for anyone here or watching that's never believed before, that today is choosing you, that today is praying to you, even maybe in this moment, God, would you show them the joy of new life in Christ and the transformation of the gospel. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we all said.